Hi, my name is Sean Keyes, and you're listening to You, Me, and BPD. Um, this week I have a guest on from America, whose uh, name is Shane. Shane, how are you? Doing very well, Sean. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, you, uh, We were speaking to each other, but we don't know much about each other, so I'm actually going to let you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, I'm from America. I'm 37 years old. I was married to a, a BPD for uh, 10 years. I'm technically still married. I'm in the process of a divorce. You, you, um, were, you, were, you were married to a person with BPD, is it? Yes, a, a yeah. person with BPD. I was married to um, this woman for... Um, we, we were married in 2010, and we're still technically married, but we were separated on July 4th, okay. 2020. Right. And, and uh, so, yeah, what, what happened? Or what you know, I have uh, four children. Yeah. And I have a, a graduate degree. I'm uh, currently unemployed. Uh, so I'm, my life is in a bit of an upside down mess at the moment, but I've got a lot of things to look forward to and uh, happy to be on the podcast. Oh, well, Thanks for coming on. You did say you, you wanted to come on and kind of give your story and just explain, I suppose, from the perspective of someone who doesn't have BPD but has experienced life with someone with BPD. Um, do you want to give me a bit of your backstory, I suppose, just to give a bit of context then to the story, just so the listeners kind of know where you're coming from? Yeah, you know, I, as I said, I was, I was married to this person with BPD for 10 years and it was an extremely toxic relationship. Um, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I was trying to save the relationship the whole time and, and uh, doing everything I could to, um, to be, you know, the people pleaser and to, to make her happy. But at the same time, of course, with BPD comes uh, verbal and emotional and physical abuse. And, and I allow myself to be there. And, uh, I was, I stayed there. I stayed in the relationship until finally I began to put down some boundaries. Um, and whenever I began to put down boundaries at that point, the marriage began to kind of go downhill and, uh, my wife began to detach more and more and, um, finally asked me to ask me to leave. Um, so she asked you to I leave. was, yeah, she asked me to leave. Um, I, I had a rule. We lived with her sister. We lived with her mother for 18 months and we lived with her sister for like three months. And, uh, we were separated for a time and we were trying to make it work. And, um, uh, we were both, you know, we come from a very religious family, which, uh, the religion, I don't know if it helped or hurt. Okay. Uh, it certainly made it to where I was more committed to stay in the relationship, which in hindsight was not wise, even though my church says to to get out if you're in that type of relationship. I didn't, you know, I only heard what I wanted to hear. You know, I wanted to stay in the marriage. And so I, I stayed in. Well, I mean, but, if you marry someone, you, you don't walk up the aisle not loving them. You know, I'm assuming it wasn't an arranged marriage. So, you know, you have all these hopes and dreams when you're starting off a marriage. And um, 
it can turn, obviously, as it did in your case. Like, can you tell me how it turned, or when did you first notice your wife had um, BPD? Well, that's a, uh, I mean, that's that's a very important part of the story because I knew that it was unhealthy and a toxic relationship from like the second or third day. I can't oh. remember if it was the second day or the third day. The second or third uh, day of your relationship. Yeah, at the very beginning of the relationship. We hadn't been married for one month. I mean, uh, so on our second or third date, she took me to visit her family. And uh, on the way home, I, I made this joke. She said, so do you like my family? I said, your family's great. Was, and uh, I made a joke about her being the, the black sheep of her family, you know, just uh, having some having some fun and giving her a hard time. Well, when she she took that like a BPD would take a, a joke and she took it like a, a serious insult. And uh, for 20 minutes, she just laid into me and chewed me out and um, told me what a horrible thing it was that I had just said and what a horrible person I must be for saying it. And the entire time I was just, I was absorbing it and I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know, you must be right. You know, it was a bad thing for me to say. I made a mistake. I'm, I was desperate to to save the relationship, and so I was willing to um, I was willing to put up with anything. Essentially, um, one of the one another time driving home to her to her house, I was driving her home about oh maybe the next week, and. Uh, I had gotten a parking ticket parked in her in her road. And in America, you drive on the, the right side of the road. And if you park on the road, you have to be pointed the way you're driving. Well, I was I was parked incorrectly in front of her house. Um, I was parked. I was parked on the, the left hand of the street, um, mm. essentially pointed the wrong direction. Well, I got a ticket for that. And I mentioned that. And I said, you know what? Don't those stupid cops have anything better to do than drive around in neighborhoods giving people tickets for nothing, you know? You know, they should be out fighting crime or something. Well, again, this caused a severe explosion that lasted for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. And uh, she split on me and she was telling me how horrible I was. and um, What a horrible thing that was that I had just done and said and that I wasn't taking responsibility and I was... You know, it was a it was a BPD split. Um, it was an attack. Um, you know, same thing happened uh, a couple days later. I was waiting on a phone call from my dad. We were speaking on the phone, and uh, I said, "Hey, my dad rings in." I said, "Hey, this is a call from my dad. I've been waiting to talk to him. Let me call you back, okay?" She said, "Okay," and I I switched the call over. And I talked to my dad about whatever it was. It had something to do with my work. And, uh, so I called, I called her back in five minutes or whatever. Again, it was about a 30 minute, um, diatribe about how horrible I was. And, um, and if you think, why would someone date someone like that? And that's, that's the question because, uh, when I separated from my wife, I was very obsessed with her behavior and, and BPD and, and what she had 
done and she had taken the kids away. And so I was very, I was obsessed with BPD to say the least. So I was researching um, BPD behavior on YouTube and uh, was watching therapists and um, uh, psychologists, self-proclaimed experts. And I was learning everything I could about BPD and it was quite validating to, to hear these stories about BPD because when you hear something like this and, and you can relate to it, you feel like you're not alone. So I was separated. I was obsessed with BPD. And, but I, I was watching um, a lady um, on BPD who, was, who I find to be quite brilliant. Um, she's a Canadian woman, and she had recovered from BPD, but it took her like 16 years. And now she's, she's you know, I would, she's probably 60 years old. And she said something that changed my mind. This was January 17th of 2021 when she said that. Um, she said, yes, I know what BPDs do are, is abusive, and I know it's abuse, and I know it's horrible, and I know it hurts. So I'm saying this with as much compassion as I can muster, and, I, and I'm really asking sincerely. Um, they do all this horrible stuff to you, but why? Why do you allow it to happen? What are you doing there? Why did you allow it to happen to you? And um, when she asked that question, all the things I had been learning in the last, you know, several years of marriage counseling and everything about being assertive and, um, you know, self-worth and, and uh, childhood trauma, it all kind of, it all kind of uh, reached a critical mass in my mind and kind of, it, it exploded into an epiphany and an epiphany is uh, a bit of an understatement. It, it was more like a revelation slash transformational experience having that. And I, and I asked myself the question, why was I there for that? Why did I allow that to happen? Why did I allow myself to be treated like that? And I started um, doing some soul searching and I came to the conclusion that I had some, I did have some childhood trauma that I thought that I had dealt with and I was fine to give you a, a brief overview of the childhood trauma. Mm. Uh, when I was 13 years old, um, my parents were splitting up. I was, I was, uh, I had great hopes to be married myself one day and I wanted a, a nuclear family and uh, I wanted to have kids and I really loved both my mother and my father. I looked up to them a lot. Um, I had this great kind of family life. My father, um, had been growing distant for about a year or so, and he had been going down into some alcohol alcoholism. And I knew there was a change with my dad. I couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, but one night, I was, when my parents were separated, um, my mother was staying um, with my my aunt, and I was there with them. And my father goes to my aunt's house, um, shoots my mother with a rifle through the window. He hits her in the head, but it's a twenty-two caliber rifle, and the, the bullets, he just hits her on the top of the skull, and the bullets, um, they shatter off a piece of her skull, but they bounce away, and it wasn't fatal. When you, um, sorry, no, for a second. 
just to, just to pause you there for a second, because when you say a twenty-two caliber rifle in Ireland, we we don't really use guns. Even our police force doesn't have guns. So, um, just right. for for other people listening in, um, what is a twenty-two caliber rifle? It's a it's a type of a rifle you would shoot squirrels with, um, or could it, rabbits. Could it kill a human okay. being? Uh, it could kill a human being if you hit a hit a vital organ, but it's not going to. It's the 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 bullet that is launched from the rifle is is smaller than a bean. Okay. Um, it's 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 a small, um, it's a small round. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe a, a centimeter, one point five centimeters in diameter. Okay. Okay. Um. So, so quite your, your father, your father shot your mother through a window. Correct. Yeah, he was standing outside, and she was standing inside the, uh, in the bathroom. She was getting ready or something. It was night, and she was freshening up. And um, I was there, and we hear this pop, pop, pop sound. And and what I thought that, uh, she had dropped the blow dryer in water. And the popping sound was the electrical pop. Well, she runs out and uh, she says, somebody's shooting me. And then um, kind of in the commotion, my my father, you know, kicks the door open and the door comes flying open and he's standing there with a rifle. And he and she miraculously escapes. He doesn't see her. Uh, he comes in in a blind rage. He goes around. He, uh, you know, he looks for her and she escapes. And Were you there? Uh, it was... Uh, I was there. I, I witnessed the whole thing. So everything going on, at, and this happening to me at, at 13 years old, I didn't realize it until later, but, you know, it's when your brain is developing, you know, at the adolescent period, um, all of these events, they shape who you are and, and what you do. And so, um, so my mother lives. My father lives. He does some time. He does like three and a half years in jail. Um, I eventually reconcile with my father and all my siblings reconcile with my father. Um, and my mother, and they're both still alive to this day. And, um, you know, obviously still divorced and they don't speak to each other. But um, I had assumed for years that um, I had processed this and it was fine because when I thought of the event, uh, it didn't cause me emotional distress, right? I thought that that meant I was fine. And uh, I, I did go through this, you know, I did go through an emotional upheaval at the time that it happened. You know, I did cry for days and all of that stuff. But eventually I, you know, I feel that I've gotten over it and I don't think about it all the time. And I have a relationship with my father. This happened 25 years ago. Now, you know, 37. Mm. This happened when I was 12 or 13. Um, so I think I'm I'm fine. But what I didn't realize that it it created some insecurities in my in my mind uh, surrounding the idea of marriage, relationship, and reproduction, and so. My my idea of of a marriage and what a marriage should be at that time was extremely disrupted. 
Right. Um, and I didn't realize it. Um, but what I did feel was an anxiety towards women and girls um, that was, for me, completely insurmountable. When you say like, anxiety, I, what, what, what type of anxiety? What exactly are you Yeah, feeling? I mean, think, uh, think, of a, think of the feeling you would get when you want to approach a pretty girl and you're nervous about it. Okay. Okay. And think of that pressure you feel, and then think of like an elephant sitting on top of that pressure. So you were kind of threatened um, by that, women, were you? Oh, I was extreme. I was threatened. Threatened is like, like I loved women. Like I, I wanted to be with a woman more than anything in, in my life. Like I was scared of not being with a woman, okay. but I was scared to death of them. I was scared of rejection. And, um, Gosh. I realize now that that was an insecurity, and so what is an insecurity? Well, us, well, it's the opposite of security, and security is feeling that you're safe and in control. Well, I was insecure surrounding women, and I felt like I was unsafe and, and not in control. And, and, and you know, you, this is you, all my theory. Yeah, did you get that feeling because did you feel helpless on the night when your father was shooting your mother? You know, I think so because it did it. the The feeling of helplessness was extreme. I mean, yeah. there was a point in my it, whenever that was whenever that was happening mm. that my father said, "You know, where you know he was saying, where is she? Where is she?" And and my aunt was saying, "Get out of here! You know, leave! Get out of the house! Get out of the house!" And he's saying, he says. She's going to die, and I'm going to die tonight. Basically, he's saying I'm going to, it's going to be a murder-suicide. And I said, no, Dad, please don't do it. You know, don't do it for me, you know. Mm. And I had this relationship with my father that was extremely close. And when, my, when I said that to my dad, my dad told me, he said, shut your mouth. And he, he pushed me down to the ground. And, uh, and so that was, you know, that was my experience, you know. Right after my mother had just been shot, and I didn't know if she was alive or dead. And, you know, I thought that maybe she could be dead. Um, so you felt on the night, um, I'm going to kind of try and get into the mindset, like he comes through the door, he's after shooting your mother, your mother runs away. You're begging him then to please stop, you know, don't do it, and he pushes you to the ground, which... I would imagine would have been, even though with the events that were happening were bad enough, but the fact that he pushed you to the ground, how did that make you feel? You know, at the time, um, it, you're, it, it was pure adrenaline and shock mm -hmm. at, at the moment. No, but on and, reflection, um, like as a... As a uh, and on reflection, that was very hard to swallow. You know, yeah. I'm, I, that is still... Um, the hardest part of the night to reflect. Yeah. And that's why the reason I'm touching on that is because I'm visualizing it here, you know, yeah. and I'm trying to visualize as horrific as it is. I'm trying to empathize with the night and see it from my eyes. And, you know, from, uh, I'm a parent and I have a child there and he's a very, um, He's a soft-natured child, and I'm 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 picking up off you that you're somewhat similar. Um, 
that must have been crushing then, the fact that he overrode any emotion he had for you to continue with what he was doing. Yeah. Um, I'm losing your, uh, I'm losing you, your volume a little bit. If you can, uh, you can, you're losing me with the volume. Are you? Yeah. You, you trailed off there for a moment. Oh, sorry. But I can hear you now. All right. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking then, did he, did it hurt the fact that he completely overrode any feelings he had for you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it certainly did. I mean, and I thought that I could carry some weight, you know, but at that moment in his rage and his, you know, Mm. in his rage, it didn't, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't do the trick. And so that was a hard thing. And that was a hard thing to reflect upon. And, uh, and I think that experience either froze me in my development towards women. I mean, at the time there was this girl, um, I won't say her name, but, um, she was just my crush. You know, it was a middle school crush. And I was, I was petrified to speak to this girl. And, um, you know, that's something that's probably pretty natural for a middle school young man to do and um, be petrified to speak to girls. However, um, after that experience, my ability to speak to women never progressed. And uh, I could speak to girls. I mean, let's, this might sound offensive to some people, but I could speak to girls that I wasn't attracted to. Right. I could, and girls that I was girls that I was not attracted to would end up, um, having wanting to have these relationships with me or, or, you know, having these huge crushes on me because I could be myself around these girls and I was comfortable around these girls and I was happy treating them just like I would treat a guy or one of my, one of my best friends. And, you know, and think of a, you know, think if, if a beautiful woman were to treat you like that, you would, you know, you're obviously going to become attracted to them. Not saying I'm, I'm on the level of a beautiful woman, but, um, along the spectrum, if they were less attractive than me, I could speak to them quite comfortably. If they were more attractive to me or just as attractive or whatever, anywhere in that range, that I thought was desirable, I was just, I was just completely um, catatonic in their presence. Okay. I think that occurred because, um, and I don't think that I ever progressed in that because of what happened with my mother and father. Um, I think that that childhood trauma created some insecurities that made it difficult, that made me feel out of control in the realm of um, relationships. And because my idea of relationships just got blown to pieces, you know, on that night. Mm. Um, so, so like, um, take, I well wa- then take me then, you know, and I, I'm take me to your actual, how then did you meet your, your wife? Well, I am, like I said, I I never like hit on a girl that I was attracted to. Mm. 
So the only girls that I ever dated were girls that pursued me right. pretty like aggressively. And so that was only like three relationships before my, before meeting my wife at, at the age of 26. So, uh, and one of the relationships, the relationship in high school, the girl, she might've been BBD too. I, I don't know. Was, that was a toxic relationship. The other two relationships, the girls, they were normal relationships, uh, but the girls kind of just lost interest in me after, you know, mm. a short time because I was, I would go into this like people pleasing mode. I would over please them. I would become who they wanted me to be uh, because I was, I was insecure. Uh, I'll get to how I met my wife. Um, in just a moment, but, but a, a good way to explain my insecurities was I was, I was in two, it was 2006. It was like September, maybe October of 2006. Cause I, I remember right where I was and I remember the man I was with and we were talking about girls and I, I don't remember what led up to this point in a conversation, but he looked at me uh, with confidence and he said, well, it's not like I'm going to marry a girl I'm not attracted to. He looked at me like, duh, I'm not going to do that. And I was shocked by his and who confidence was, who, and his who, declaration who was... that he was obviously going to marry someone he was attracted to. Because this was my greatest anxiety in life. This is the thing that would keep me up at night was being alone and not falling in love and not um, having a an enriching, a fulfilling romantic relationship. This was my greatest fear and anxiety. So, um, fast forward a couple years, 2009, um, I'm, I'm at church and I meet, uh, I meet a girl, I see her and I say, you know, hi, how are you doing? And, and I, I talked to her and this was, this is my wife. Um, I asked her how she was doing and she was, she was attractive, um, but she wasn't so attractive that. I wasn't able to approach her. Um, so I approached her. I certainly didn't hit on her or I was just basically being just, you know, just nice. I went up to her. I said, how you doing? I like your boots. Da, 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 da. And uh, so flirting as much as I could. And then I, I just stepped away from it. And she came up to me and she invited me to a party. And then I went to that party and, uh, I left the party, um, you know, when it was time to go home or whatever. Well, she followed me outside and um, approached me and, you know, we talked and we set up a date. And um, and then we went on a date and a second. And um, the first date we had, she comes to my house. She's late. I'm cooking her food. The first date was I was going to cook her food at my house. And, and so she's like 10, 15 minutes late, which was not a big, not a big deal. But she shows up at the house like with this scared rabbit look on her face. And she says, do you have a gun? I'm like, what? Oh, she's like, my, uh, my ex-boyfriend is chasing me around. Sorry, I'm late. My ex-boyfriend is chasing me and he's going to he's going to attack me. 
I'm like, what in the world? I was like, don't worry about it, you know? And then I go into white knight mode. Yeah. And I'm like, I was like, ah, you've come to the right house. Don't worry. I'll, I'll protect you. You'll be fine. And so we come in the house. She, we forget about her crazy ex-boyfriend who really wasn't chasing her, you know? Right, okay. re- on, upon reflection, I realized that was just, <laughs> she just made that up just as a manipulative tool. Just to get um, you into gear. Like, it, I, again, we're from Ireland now, and I know there's people listening around the world at this stage. Um, we just wouldn't be used to the guns. We wouldn't be used to the guns like you would be. Um, you know, you could... You, you, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and I, I'm people from Ireland are going to hear this story, and they're going to think, you know, America's like the wild, wild west, and we just, you know, we're gunslingers. And that's, I mean, there's like 100 million people in America who own guns, but... Uh, uh, they're usually rarely uh, brought out in public or talked about. They're just kind of, they're usually, you know, locked in a safe or in the top of the closet somewhere. Um, so these are my most extreme moments of my mm. life. Uh, and, you know, they're the only time guns really get taught, you know, <laughs> talked yeah. about. So I don't want, I don't want to give the impression that. You know, that you, you just have guns hanging over you. No, no, I know that. It's just yeah, it's yeah. just a, you it seems go it, to the grocery store without getting shot at. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be the first port to call if there's an argument. I seen a I seen a, yeah. a, a over the Christmas there some fella shooting a woman over snow um in America. But either way um can you tell me then you were on dates and you know, she was kind of giving you a hard time if you kind of made a passing comment and she would give you a hard time for maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Um, did it progress? You know, did you confront her about it? Did you stay quiet? How did your relationship develop? Um, you know, I didn't react to her. I thought... I was a very patient person. Um, and that's what I thought my whole life because I wouldn't react to threats. And I was calm and cool under pressure. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm the perfect man for Cherie because I'm the only guy who can handle her, her outburst without reacting. Well, I have learned recently that we should not confuse patience with suppressing our anger. Okay, and that's what I did for my whole life. I, I confused suppressing anger with the idea that I was patient, and and to an extent, yes, I was patient because I was not reactionary. But everyone has a fuse of some length, and um, and so it was about uh, we we dated for about two months, and she asked me to marry her and I said yes and I jumped in with both feet knowing it was like totally toxic the whole time but like telling myself that it was going to get better telling myself that if I could be the person that she wanted me to be uh, that it would be fine yeah how, um, how, how old were you at this stage now 26 26 okay two months in that's 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 fucking quick now you know what I mean um that is, that's pretty quick. Go on, though. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's extremely, it's lightning fast. Uh, too fast. Uh, it's very unwise, yeah, what I did. Yeah. Um, so, um, 
because of work and employment, I decided to move to another state and we were pretty far away from each other. And I, and I flew back to visit her. And when I flew back to visit her and we were together for about four months and finally, uh, she was, uh, she, she had launched into one of her, her diatribes and she was attacking me and, and finally my fuse reached its end and I blew up. I like, I blew up and When you say she was attacking you, was she physically attacking you or was she verbally attacking you? No, she was just, it was a verbal, it was a verbal and emotional assault, you know? And and so I blew up and I did my verbal and emotional assault, you know? And I was, you know, I put on my angry eyes and I did this, you know, you do this scream growl thing you do when you're just completely, when you've completely lost it. Yeah. And you're running, I was running on straight adrenaline and I did that. Uh, you know, and that lasts for like, what, like five seconds, 10 seconds or whatever. And then she's like, she's scared, but then she's okay after that. Okay. Um, was like that, was like that had solved the issue and, um, which was a, a horrible pattern to fall into. And so we would fall into this pattern of she would, she would verbally abuse, verbally and emotionally abuse. And she would occasionally physically abuse, but the verbal and emotional abuse were the, was, you know, 99% of it. And I would go into this mode where I would suppress, suppress, suppress my anger. And I wouldn't manage my anger because I didn't have any boundaries because, man, if I set a boundary, I might lose her. So why set a boundary? Um, So I didn't set boundaries for fear of losing her. And, um, I, you know, I would, um, I would, I would blow up and it was like, the best way to explain it is like my, my brain had my body on a leash. My body was like, you know, blowing up and I would, I would like hold myself back. And this would happen like, you know, like every three months uh, that I would blow up and, uh, it was a, you know, it was always a horrible scene, and uh, and tell me, like, and you know, when, and then when you when you were blowing up, you know, as you said, blowing up, you know, looking back on it now, was she just bringing you into her world, or were you, you know what I mean? I'm trying to was it was her when I say was she bringing you into her world? Did she come from a background where you know? abuse was high where yeah she yeah she was she was abused uh, by her mother severely as a child okay um, her mother was more than likely bpd of course i don't i don't know if she ever received a diagnosis my wife did receive a diagnosis by okay. a, by a clinical psychologist uh, but her mother from this from what i understand the stories that i've heard from her and her father um I'm I'm 99% certain that she had BPD. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she would bring me into her world. So she grew up with abuse, and, and so she treated me the way she was treated. I mean, that's the way she was programmed. Um, she was, she lived under fear and uh, under threat all the time. And uh, so with me, 
it was a when she wasn't verbally abusive and when she wasn't emotionally abusive, she was um, extremely controlling. And uh, the control um, is actually unbelievable unless you know a BPD and unless you understand uh, um, uh, what BPD is. Well, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, she had complete control of the money, um, and she would she spend it all. Um, um, she had all she had control over sex, complete control over that. Mm. Um, or you know, I would not even ask to have sex because I was you know afraid to approach the subject. Um, also, like I wasn't allowed to watch movies, watch any sort of sport. Um, I wasn't allowed to, uh, we weren't allowed to listen to the radio. The, when, the, you, when you say we, did you have children at this stage when she was acting like this? Yeah, we had four, we had four children. You know, I wasn't, you know. Um, so, no, and I know this is a bit of a rush because you're gone from two months marriage to four children. But yeah, you, you don't get married to someone. What's the good side of her? What, like... You know well, what I mean? There's no yeah, way the would good, I marry a woman good, who was kicking the shit right. around me up. You know, so there had to have been a right. good side. What was the good side of her? Well, um, I, unfortunately, the first thing that I was interested in, like to satisfy my insecurities, was her her physical appearance. Okay, but she was also she was also smart and competent. Um, she's very smart, and so. You know, at work, um, just she could have a conversation. We had a lot of things in common uh, on religiously, politically, how we wanted to raise our children. Um, the A lot of the show, TV shows that we liked, the, the art style that we liked, uh, the home decor uh, we liked. Uh, we had a whole lot of things in common. And we had a, a lot of core values in common, too. Um and so there were these core values that, you know, th- there were some boxes that were ticked there. Mm. And um, we held these things in common. And she was also extremely giving and caring. And uh, how, how, she was how is she as a mother? How is she as a mother to the children? Um, as a mother of the children, she was very, very good most of the time, unless she threatened by the children okay. um, and but most of the time I was the target and you know I think that happened to her as a child because her mother who I who I believe had BPD um, divorced her father left her father when my wife was 16 years old and moved out of state that is when the abuse started on her and her siblings so she didn't have an outlet for my wife's mother didn't have an outlet for her abuse because the father wasn't there and she took it out on the children and the children were also teenagers at this time. And, uh, I don't know if it's because they were teenagers and they, they, they were making up their own minds and they had their own desires and plans that caused her to split on the children and abuse the children. Or if it was just the fact that the father was no longer in the picture and therefore, um, she had to have someone to take her 
And how how did your wife um, how did your wife view her father? What was that relationship like? I'm sorry. How did my wife view her what? Well, how did your wife what had your wife a good relationship with her own father? Oh well, very complicated. So she did have a she has a biological father that put her up for adoption at two years old. Right. And so she had three. She had two older sisters. And this biological father put her up for adoption. Um, I mean, not put her up for adoption. He signed his rights over to um, her mother's new husband. Okay. And so, um, so her mother's new, her stepfather was able to adopt her and become her legal father. And so, That had to mess with her some, you know. I, I don't know. Absolutely, yeah. That that that's part of the story, right? Hmm. And her stepfather, however, um, I had, you know, in my view, is an extremely good man. But his daughters and children um, can't stand to look at him. Um, they don't like him at all, and so what are what are they seeing? Cool. What did they see that that will say you didn't? Well, I, I think that they're. I think that both the children and the stepfather, the the legal father, who they all call dad, mm. is. Um, I think they're all victims of parental alienation. Um. I think that that's the issue Um, because the mother just told the children whenever they were teenagers how horrible of a person he was constantly and why um, they were in the bad straight that they were in and that he wouldn't pay child support and then all this horrible stuff that he would do. And so the, the BPD mother painted this horrible picture of this man, you know, who got out of the relationship and uh, it stuck with the kids, you know, and parental alienation is something that kids can grow out of, Well, I mean, but yeah, it's also yeah. something that they don't necessarily grow out of. So, so um, and I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. I've seen it with 45 year old women who still don't like their father. And they come up with these bizarre excuses of why to hate him. Like he'll come into town and he won't call them or he, he doesn't spend enough time with them. Or he doesn't call enough, and um, and otherwise he's like he's like the greatest dad, you know. But if you ask, you know, if I was to ask him, like, how many times in the last twenty years um, have your children completely lost it on you and attacked you, he wouldn't be able to count. He wouldn't be able to count. He, he's been attacked by them verbally and emotionally assaulted by them constantly. This and is so the, this I don't is, blame him for being withdrawn a little bit, you know. This is the, the and they attack him for being withdrawn. So this is your your wife's stepfather. Yeah, I mean it is. It's her legal father, and you know it's her dad because mm. he he uh, he adopted them. He's their legal father. Yeah. Uh, so you, it's just uh, you can see then. 
you know, you're, you came into the marriage with um, experiencing a shooting of your mother and your father, two of the most people on the planet that you loved. Um, your feeling of helplessness towards women that you couldn't protect her. You know, your wife then comes into a relationship where men aren't fucking number one. Uh, in fact, they can be people that can abandon you. So, you know, do you see what's, do you see how the two of ye are like two ships at night time with no lights? You're bound to just crash into <laughs> each other, you know? Yeah, that's um, exactly right. And it, it's a trauma bond, you know, we were codependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two ships at night with no lights. Yeah. And then we, we crashed into each other and then we got tangled up. Our sails got tangled up mm. with each other. And, uh, we're stuck together. See, just, that's it. Like, and, um, and I'm not saying you're right or she's right or you're wrong or he, you know, I, I, I don't really get into that. Sometimes we can trigger other people by just being ourselves. Maybe, you know, she picked up on your insecurities and maybe you picked up on hers and you were absolutely ripping each other apart instead of actually helping each other to grow. Right. You know, um, oh, I, I think that's I think that's a huge part. I mean, just in the last seven months that I've been away from her, mm. I know I've grown into a completely di- different person. And yeah. based on her behavior in court, I question how much she's grown, but I hope she's growing. Um, but uh, yeah, you're, you're touching on something right there. I mean, we weren't able to grow together. You know, we were in a trauma bond. Yeah. Uh, we both came from, you know, and I tell people now, it's like. Unlikely that you're going to end up. You're, it's unlikely that you're going to end up in a healthy um, relationship. I mean, I'm, unless you get that resolved, unless you understand what's going on in your head and what happened in your head. Hmm. It's. It's, uh, you're, you're in, you know, you're in for it, you know, good luck is all I can say, but. And tell me, like, you're, you're going through a divorce, are you at the moment? I am. And that's going to go ahead, that's, it's, it's been finalized, like. Um, I mean, I'm not, are you asking what it's going to take to finalize the divorce? No, like, what's in my head is this, is. You know, you're basically two people that you experienced quite a lot of trauma in very different ways in life. And basically what you've done is you both brought that trauma with you and then into a marriage where you were kind of trying to mix oil and water together, which never mixes. You know, trying to yeah. uh, trying to mix two uh, substances that don't mix and never mix. And you were pulling each other apart because of it. And look, she's at fault, and you're at fault, and you're at fault, and she's at fault. It, it, at the end of the day, when a marriage ends, it doesn't matter who's at fault because the fallout is basically, as you've experienced and she experienced, more trauma added to the experience, you know, that type of way. And then the next generation has to experience this form of trauma. And they have to try and grow and live. And I'm just wondering, is there a different perspective that both of you can look at 
and come at mm. it from a different way. You're both very religious, which means, you know, I mean, the I do's and in the fr- in front of God mean something to people who are very religious. So I'm just wondering, is there another way you can come at it? Is there is there is the marriage gone, or can you not try and resolve it? Oh, the marriage is totally gone. I mean, and I would never go back. Right. Um, I mean, and really, it was the wrong decision to get married to her in the first place. Okay. And, I mean, it was, and not only is the marriage gone, um, she filed for a domestic violence protective order after we were separated, and the judge granted a domestic violence protective order in her favor. And, um, and the protective order is, has a duration of 50 years. So I'm not allowed to come in uh, within 500 feet of her for 50 years. How um, that's all going to work out with children yeah. and everything. It's, it's, it's not going to work. It basically means that I can't go to any of my children's activities, marriages, yes. weddings, uh, um, baseball games, bowling league, um, nothing, you know? Um, so, and and I mean, will I, you will you have um, you'll be able to see your children though? Will you? Well, I went nine months without seeing the children, and I still haven't seen them. I've only got to speak to them over Zoom, and so I speak to them twice a week on Zoom. And uh, she didn't want that. She requested that you know uh, I I finish this year long. Uh, uh, domestic violence batters intervention program that the state of Oklahoma has, um, and, and which would end like next October. So she wanted me to go from July 2020 to October 2021 without the possibility of seeing the children or speaking to the children. So she, that was her, and she requested in the domestic violence protective order, she requested the judge. Um, to prevent me from seeing the children for 99 years. She asked for the maximum. She asked that I wouldn't be able to see the children or her for 99 years. So, uh, Do you mind me asking, that, how did it get to that? How did she, did she have any pr- well, proof? Or like? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 back in 2017, I had given her a, a black eye. And this is all on court record. I'm not saying anything that's not yeah, yeah. already out in the, out in the open. But um, I gave her this uh, black eye, mm. and uh, she had she had admitted in court um, to the whole story. I mean, it was my first day of school. She was uh, first day of uh, school for the semester. She was nervous about me going back and being around other women, and uh, she, I'm I'm in the shower uh, before I was before we were in the shower. We she was mad and uh, I was fixing something with a screwdriver in the kitchen. I was tightening up some cabinet doors with a Phillips head screwdriver. And uh, so, you know, she's, she's very angry and I just leave and storm upstairs and I'm getting in the, I'm in the shower, taking a shower and she throws open the shower curtain and she is attempting to stab me with a, a screwdriver. And, uh, when she attempted uh, to sca- stab me with the screwdriver, I, um, you know, I swung back and hit her, and she ended up getting a black eye. And uh, it, 
in America, in family court, it doesn't matter if she was trying to stab me or not. All that matters is that I gave her a black eye. And that's also, you know, it's true because the question is, why was I with a woman who was trying to stab me with the screwdriver? Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's me. I'm the one. I, no one, no one held a gun to my head and forced me to marry her. I married her on my own accord and I married her because of my insecurities. And, um, so, and I, you know, I'm the one who put myself in that position. So, what she did was wrong. Yes. Was it self-defense? Well, yeah, obviously there's a case for that. Um, but the fact is, is I was the one who was with her. It wasn't the first time she'd attacked me. Another time she had held a steak knife. Um, I was laying in bed and she held a steak knife to my face for about 45 minutes. And she demanded I take the knife and um, kill myself with it to you know, get myself out of her life. And, uh, so, I get up. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in beginning of stories. There's no way does anyone walk in with a steak knife, hand it to you and say, kill yourself to get you out of my life. Oh yeah. Well, I, it, this is where, this is why my story is very unbelievable. And it's unbelievable to the court and it's unbelievable to other people. No, no, people. I, it's not that I don't believe it. Um, no, no, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, yeah. her, her niece was visiting. Her niece, her 19-year-old niece was visiting. Her, her niece is attractive, and she just couldn't handle it. And I didn't, you know, make a pass at her niece or anything like that. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like we were having some sort of uh, flirting relationship going on. I mean, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty much a just professional, just kind of a, a normal you know, she was only she would only been there a couple hours, yeah. but she uh, couldn't help it, and uh, uh, she had a meltdown. And um, and so she, I, I get into the kitchen after she's holding the knife to me. I, I get into the kitchen. I'm on my knees praying, and she says something like, "You never loved me, or you want me to be unhappy," you know, uh, or you know, and it was a uh, one of her phrases. And I looked up and I said, "You know that's." I said, that's not true. And when I looked up at her, she held her hand back, you know, with a knife, like she, she pulled it, you know, she pulled it back like she was ready to strike. And when she did, you know, I, uh, I struck out and, and, uh, I hit her and then I ran away, uh, spent the night in a mm. playground, um, in the neighborhood hiding from her. So that was the kind of toxic, extreme relationship that we had and um it was just it was really it was just a nightmare from start to finish and um she um she was just very scared and very miserable all the time and um whenever she felt out of control she would switch to her I believe her and to so I mean where then 
what's the next move for you? Where do you see your life going from here? You've just went at the beginning of the the conversation. You were saying you're not working. Like as the conversation progressed, there you've been in a, an extremely violent marriage. Um, you know what's the future for you? Well, I'm working for Lyft, so I mean, I'm essentially unemployed, but like I can, I can still put in 60 hours a week doing uh, Lyft or Uber, you know. Yeah. And uh, also DoorDash. So, um, my future for me is to um, go to the Seattle area where my children are living and um, um, get a job up there. That's my that's my goal. And um, hopefully get as much um, as much visitation with my children as possible. Um, in America, there's a in divorce court. There's a there's a process uh, called an appointment of a guardian ad litem, and a guardian ad litem is essentially a, a mental health investigator, and they will interview everybody that they can and just do everything that they can to investigate. And so um, that may help me maximize time with my children, mm. but I'm, it's looking like I'm probably only going to see the kids once every other weekend, um, which is a nightmare, you know, because, I love my children as much as any father or any mother loves their children. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, and if you don't, you know, people are like, well, I can't imagine what I do. And well, no, you, you can't imagine what you would do because you turn into a different person once it happens. You would. And I mean, so, at, the, at this stage now, you know, it's unfortunate that the, you are where you are. Um, but I mean, the, the main focus, as you well can imagine, is is your four children. And, you know, you're going to have to be strong for them and build a life for them, you know, so that, uh, I mean, it's it's unfortunate. And I'm, I'm not going to bring my own life into this story because it's not about me, this podcast. I can just tell you, I come from generation of generation of generation of fucking bullshit. And you just have to be the one. You have to be the one that says, fuck this. Enough is enough, like, you know, and change it and actually just turn it. Like, as you, I don't know if you know, I have BPD, so I'm I'm on the the other side of the fence. Um. So everything you tell me, it's not like I'm going, oh my God, I couldn't believe. I, I'm well aware of what people like myself are capable of doing. And I'm well aware we're good people. And I'm well aware that we can do destructive things too. Um, but I mean, with yourself, you know, you, you are going to have to kind of focus on that really, aren't you? And make sure that your four children are the center of the universe. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly my only goal. You know, my goal is not to get married again. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I no longer have that desire to, like that fearful desire to, to, to get married. Um, 
someone yeah. uh, or to be in a relationship. I've come to the, I've come to a, a peaceful place where I, I realize that I don't need um, another woman to make me happy and that I have four children and that I can build my own life and create something beautiful and move forward and to just do whatever I can to enrich the lives of those around me and be, I'm at peace with that. Yeah. And, um, I will be there for my children as much as the, you know, the, the government allows me to be with my children. Um, you know, until they're 18 or whatever. Um, I don't know how their lives are going to turn out exactly, but I want to be the very best that I can be for them to, so I can be there for them. Um, I'm worried. I'm, I'm concerned with how they're going to be treated by their mother. I don't know how that's going to happen. Obviously, I can't tell the future, but I'm afraid that she's, um, if she doesn't, if she doesn't get help, that she'll continue to turn her her fear and her rage outward. Um, so, and that will turn on to the children. I'm worried about that, but um, I, there's all I can do is everything I can do. Yeah. You know, I can be there for them when I can be there for them. Um, but I, you know, this is a, this is a life that I chose. It's not the life that I wanted, but it's the life that I chose. Um, and yeah, you know, generations of abuse. My, my wife comes from generations from abuse that I think that stem from world war two. <laughs> I mean, her, her, yeah. her mother was abused by her mother. And her mother was a, lived through, her grandmother was uh, like 10, lived from like 10 to like 18 in Germany during World War II, where she was, her, her, her home was bombed, you know, she was invaded, you know, it was just constant fear and terror, which I think uh, created some, some PTSD, which turned into a pattern and I, I that I think probably has a lot to do with the generational patterns of abuse. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, you're right. You have to be the one to stop the pattern. You do. You have and, to. Uh, you have to be because as tough as it is, and I can only imagine the nightmare that you're going through and not being able to see your kids. I, 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 I wouldn't even try and get too far into it or I wouldn't be able to cope myself, um, to be honest about it. But, you know, you have, a, you have a high hill to climb there, to be honest. You have a high hill to climb. But I think, you know, I think when you just stand your own ground and be moral in your own right, the children in time will, will naturally gravitate in their own way, you know. I'm not going to say they're going to go to you or your wife, but I think children naturally gravitate in time. You know, we all become adults and we all see the world isn't what it was when we were children, you know. But um, Shane, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, that was a that was a very intense story, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I wasn't expecting it because I didn't know 
anything about your story. You just contacted me and you said, I have a story to tell. So I didn't even know if you had BPD or not BPD. So I wasn't expecting, um, I wasn't expecting this, uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, yeah, there's a fella here in Ireland and he, he has BPD as well. He's, he's an awful lot more famous than I am and he gets guests on his show and he hasn't a clue who they are. And I feel like him at the moment where I'm just after getting you on, I hadn't a clue what you were going to say. Um, I'm very grateful that you shared the story, if I'm being honest, because, you know, I think to come on and, you know, my podcast is about people with BPD and I'm always trying to help them. And you've come on being um, the receiving end of of uh, what someone with BPD can do, Um so I want to say thanks very much for coming on the show. Well, I appreciate you, you know, sharing my story as part of my healing process. And yeah. It helps and, me get it out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. And look, you know, there's no second names and quite a lot of, quite a lot of my show is like that. There's, there's no need for second names or locations or anything like that because, you know, these things are, they're hard enough to tell without um, anything else uh, revealed you know so um shane i'm gonna say thanks very much and thanks for coming on the show yeah thank you sean no problem thank you